Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters. I'm joined by Josh and Harry. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about the average university IQ is going down. I think I know where that's going. Actually, now I think about it. But yeah, we'll find out. Don't spoil it. All right. They don't know why they failed. And also don't ask questions. Just consume the product. Consume. Those are, those are two quite joke. esoteric. I mean, that is the joke. <laughs> right. It's a meme. It's been a meme for years. Yeah. I was just trying to say something funny, but I ain't got nothing. I do have an announcement today, though, which is um, we'll be doing Lads Hour, which would be pretty funny, which is tomorrow at 3 p.m. UK time. So adjust your foreign clocks to it. Anyway, we'll be talking about how if you were given $200 billion, what would you do with it? So I feel like this is going to be like the one where we thought about what dictator we would... Well, what famous well, you all chose who you you all chose Hitler, right? No, it was just Carl. But... <laughs> <laughs> what, anyway. was, what was the famous line from that? Let's stop lying, guys. You'd all choose Hitler. Get it on a shirt while stocks last. <laughs> anyway, that's not on the merch store, by the way. <laughs> We're still working on it. But anyway, uh, yeah, tomorrow. So if you're a premium member or want to be or um, enjoy Lada, do come join. We'll be chatting shit. All right, let's let's get into the news. So this might not necessarily be a surprise to many of you, but the average university IQ of the students is going down. And uh, spoiler alert, I used to be a student. and uh, It was as soon as you left. The IQ plummeted, obviously. This is the nicest thing you've ever said to me. You're feeling all right, Harry. I've been feeling a bit peaky this morning. I thought so. But um, I wanted to talk about this because there's been a, a large meta-analysis and there's been lots of hubbub about it. Because, of course, the state of universities more generally has been a hot topic, particularly with the stuff going on in Harvard and the likes, and as well as us talking about universities being pretty much a breeding ground for leftism at this point. And it's kind of a beating a dead horse to talk about it. But I think this is quite interesting. So here is the study itself. Oh, um, it is titled Meta-Analysis. On average, undergraduate students' intelligence is merely average which uh, is quite the condemnation because, of course, many people going to university think that it somehow makes them smart. And uh, one of the things that I kind of realized at university is that not everyone there is even close to being smart. And actually, if you want to do well at university, just work hard. You don't need to be smart. You don't need to be intelligent. Any old idiot can go to university these days. As long as you actually do your work and do it well, you'll be fine. Is that not a bit of a condemnation, though? Yes, it is. Um, so I always thought the whole point of schooling was to determine, you know, who's going to make it. Who's yeah. smart and who is not. Yeah. It's uh, now become who can jump through the most hoops willingly. It's almost be become like, uh, you know, people train their dogs to do things. It's like a, a lesson in discipline from who, who owns you, which is the state, of course. Right. Very cynical view. There is obviously value in education. I don't want to demean that. And I'll, I'll talk about that side of things more as we go on because I got a lot of value out of my education. So I'm not going to be too dismissive, but I'm going to read some of the key points. Um, so it says, the background, according to a widespread belief, the average IQ of university students is 115 to 130 IQ points. And um, that is substantially higher than the average IQ of the general population. And of course, the average is 100, at least in Britain, which the average is set by. So, you know. 
<laughs> I know how people make fun of us. We're like, oh, where's the dateline for the whole world? It's like right through London. It's like where's where's a hundred <laughs> IQ right in whatever British people think. <laughs> well, if the if the, right if the if the line for average IQ is now being set by London, if that's what a hundred is, then I've just gone up three standard deviations. <laughs> oh <less. God. laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't think it's formally what London is. I think it's just that it so happens that Britain is just average. Which uh, it hurts me to say. It, perfectly it was also, average, a perfectly average empire. It does also say that data was from the 40s and 50s. Yeah, you've just stolen my next point, but thank you. Um, you're helping me out. That's fine. So it carries on to say, um, today graduating from university is actually more common than competing and um, completing even high school in the 40s. So in the 40s, they were more likely to drop out of high school than to drop out of university today, which is kind of mind blowing. I think that must be in the States. I think this particularly focuses on the States. And um, they said they conducted a meta-analysis of the mean IQ scores of college and university student samples using the Welshler Adult Intelligence Scale between 1939 and 2022. And they basically tried to measure the trend between the two. And that test is just one of the, the variants of IQ tests. I've done a fair amount of work looking at these. Um, and they say the results show that the average IQ of undergraduate students today is a mere 102 IQ points and has declined by approximately 0.2 IQ points per year, so 0.2, um, since 1939, one would presume. So that's quite the condemnation of university students because it's just average now, which um, isn't great. You know, all these people who think we know best, we're going to go on to manage things, we're the civil servants, we're working for the government. We're the bureaucrats, the councillors, all of those. They uh, just have a mere average intelligence. And why is it that nothing really works anymore? Hmm. Oh, realistically speaking, the world that has been set up by managerial bu bureaucracy, the amount of complexity within everyday life, means that you do probably need at least a 110 IQ to be able to manage anything of it due to the sheer complexity of the world that we live in right now. If you're in a developed, industrialized or, mm -hmm. or service-based economy in the West, if you're going to be doing anything important, I want you to be at least at, uh, above average intelligence. Well, things are, in, in certainly in some industries, so complicated that they can't really be managed by one person. Uh, there's... Um, as we're getting increasingly sophisticated with our technology and, and things like that, and we're developing advanced systems in which um, lots and lots of people are involved, a lot of people just simply can't comprehend the complexity of it. And I think you have to be very gifted to be able to understand the nature of complexity in the world today. But um, I wanted to talk through some of the implications of the, this finding, um, because the ones proposed in the study I actually thought were quite interesting. So they said, universities and professors need to realize that students are no longer extraordinary, but merely average and have to adjust curricula and academic standards, which, you know, we're, we're, aren't exactly high to begin with. Is it going to dance around affirmative action? Is that what this paper is going to do? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I, I will be getting onto that specifically, but feel free. Just to, let's just get it straight out there. This is because of affirmative action. For decades now, universities and other places of education and business have been lowering the standard of criteria to be able to get into them for particular ethnic minority groups. And big surprise, when you're looking to increase the amount of students in the university that arbitrarily are under one ethnic category, and to, to get that many people in, you need to lower the standards. 
all of a sudden the standard of the student you're going to have in those university will automatically be lowered. As a logical chain of events, you don't even need to bring it into the real world to understand that that's obviously what is going to happen. Well, they've and stopped hiring. Surprised. They're stopped hiring based on merit, haven't they? That's what's going on here. Is that they're they're getting people in. Um, who otherwise, if they were judged purely based on the quality of their work, wouldn't be able to get into certain institutions. And because they have this view of um, equity that, you know, you need everyone to be um, in sort of groups which reflect society. We need society. standardized outcomes. Yes, very Which strange. is just going to result in a race to the bottom, mm -hmm. lowest common denominator. And what this means is that all of those talented individuals who couldn't get into the universities because they were exceptional, but needed to be pushed to the side to allow for an ethnic minority to come in. They're still out there. They're still really intelligent. They're just probably optimizing Hearts of Iron strats on Twitch right now. Callum. Um, anyway, um, it also carries on to say, employers can no longer rely on applicants with university degrees to be more capable or smarter than those without degrees. That is scathing. Um, students need to realize the, that acceptance into university is no longer an invitation to join an elite group. Um, and the myth of brilliant undergraduate students in scientific and popular literature needs to be dispelled. So those are quite um, strong statements, really. You know, it does skirt over some stuff. And it is worth mentioning as well, I have my questions about the validity of IQ as a measure of intelligence. And uh, IQ has been proven to be measuring something, some aspect of mental ability. But to call it intelligence necessarily, because there are lots of things that IQ simply doesn't measure, like it doesn't measure your creativity or lots of things that actually will come into play in the modern workplace that are quite important. And so to, to say it's a measure of intelligence when really it's sort of a mathematical ability, maybe analytical abilities in some cases, it's quite specific in what it measures. But what it does measure, it measures well, I think is the, the best thing you can say about it. So it's a sort of benchmark, but it shouldn't be seen as the be all and end all. Um, that being said, um, I did write an article once <laughs> where I looked at the country with the lowest average IQ, which is Equatorial Guinea on the west coast of Africa, which had an IQ of 59, um, which uh, if you know the 70 benchmark is very low. And it actually took me to probably one of the most deprived countries in Africa. Um, and so there must be something to it if it made me realize that these people who are living on the equivalent of um, $2 a day, if I remember. I wrote this all the way back in 2021, so I uh, can't remember the specifics, but yes, it, it, it has its utility. Yeah, just, just to make it clear, 70 is the benchmark for what um, a medical doctor would classify as mental retardation. Yes. So uh, according to this IQ test, which uh, we apply for that area, that country is probably made up of quite a few people who are mentally retarded. Yes, by definition. Although yes. it doesn't sound very nice, does it? Doesn't it doesn't sound very nice, but it is accurate to point mm -hmm. out. So um, Matt Goodwin pointed out something interesting. Um, I'm not going to go through his substack. If you want to uh, read it, go ahead. Um, but what I wanted to look at here was this graph and student visas particularly. So if you look at uh, since 2020, pretty much, um, what is that? India, Sub-Saharan Africa, and the rest of South Asia have skyrocketed, but particularly Sub-Saharan Africa and India, which I find interesting. So that, that suggests that perhaps there is a sudden influx that may be altering recent results in recent years.
and that the makeup of students hasn't always been the same. That's is this the United States or the United Kingdom? I think this is the UK because that study was looking at the United States, the Home Office. Yes, but the trends in university students. um, I've I've looked at other research as well, and it's true both in the UK and the United States. So we can kind of see it as a general trend in many Western countries. I think it's a good point to qualify because um, the expansion of education to lots of other people, I think, has um, altered. Um, the kind of student that comes out, I suppose, is fair to say. There's also that aspect on the uh, affirmative action end, which is not only are you introducing a wide audience of people who wouldn't have made it otherwise, you're also excluding people on the ethnic basis. Yes. And particularly the Chinese, mm-hmm. which on IQ tests score on average way higher than mm-hmm. pretty much everyone. I think it's well, they place, a, they place a very high that. cultural emphasis on mathematics, and the IQ test is significantly weighted towards mathematical ability, in my opinion, depending on which one you're doing. But, um, so, so what we're learning is that if you open up lots of routes for people to come to your country, where the countries they're coming from, having an IQ of 90, which is below average for us, but would mean that you're potentially exceptional, multiple standard deviations above the norm over there. Equatorial Guinea specifically. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. You're an exceptional person over there, below average over here. They come over here and then we go, ah, oh, we can have everything you want. Join our universities. Yeah, that's going to reduce standards. Yeah, it's funny that. Um, so it is also worth mentioning as well that there have been studies that have found that going into further education, um, is that this one? I I can't remember. Um, I need to double check actually. What's your IQ? Mine's not very good. (laughs) I went to university, so it actually got lower. Um, (laughs) He went in a 145 Chad, came out a 110 mid-whip. Okay. So actually the, the IQ, sorry, this is a different study. Um, the, the IQ is explained 35% by their capacity on school performance, but their country of origin was 45%. So actually, country of origin is more important, which I found interesting and was seemingly the, one of the, the most important factors. But anyway, um, it's worth mentioning as well that if you know basic maths, if you've got um, a reasonable IQ, you'll know that the more people that um, do a thing, the more it deviates to the average. That is uh, a law of averages, funnily enough. And uh, here is an article from The Guardian. In 2017, almost half of all young people in England go on to higher education. I imagine that this is a trend um, mirrored in many of the Western countries that an increasing number as, as a percentage go to higher education. And so it makes sense that the more people that do a thing, the more it's going to go to the average, right? But um, it hasn't reached that yet. Um, here is, um, what is this? The, some sort of think tank. I've prepared this. Yes. UK. But basically they said, we're a long way off. Um, it's only at about 43% actually. It's not quite 50% yet. But um, that, yes. That, it's, that feels like <laughs> nitpicking. That it feels, is. That feels like debunking right there. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, it's only 43%. Well, it makes a difference. That's 7%. It's, it's something. It's worth mentioning very briefly. It's, only, it's actually slightly less than half. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And uh, comically enough, um, apparently puberty blockers are, have been linked to having lower IQs. Um, I can't say much more about that, lest we get in trouble. But um, yes, there, there could be a potential explanatory factor in this day and age. Um, also, um, there's this as well, that universities now are about 
60% female in my psychology course. It was 85%, at least to undergraduate. And so... So you had run of the mill. <laughs> that's one way of looking at it, yes. And um, this is something that's been talked about very frequently, that male intelligence has a wider range. So you have more complete morons and more geniuses, and female intelligence tends to um, spike higher around the sort of average, which is, you know, no, no, no apportioning blame or anything like that, or no calling people stupid. It's just um, the way in which human beings seemingly have developed. And so I can't really um, make too many conclusions about it. But with more women, it makes sense that it's more towards the average because that's how the IQs plot um, on a graph more so. So that might be another explanation as well as just more people going and more international students. And uh, here is something else as well, that a lot of the education system now has been catered towards uh, making women achieve and, and girls and actually boys perform worse all the way from sort of the essential education that they do, the, the mandatory education all the way up until university. And so the system seems to be very female-oriented in how it's structured and taught. There, there has been, for ages now, that massive push to get as many girls in STEM mm -hmm. as possible. And then you see organizations like, uh, what, what was the one that had the gigantic panel blow out of its um, airplane the other week? Oh, Boeing. Yeah, Boeing. And then oh, Boeing. American. I can't remember. I, I think it was I Boeing. Boeing, yeah. Boeing shares a video of the team that's putting those together or designing them or something, and it's just all women. Mm -hmm. They're very proud of that fact. Yes. Mm. You're right, though, because that, that IQ difference isn't... IQ isn't everything, of course. Of course, yeah. But it is obvious that if you want excellence in science, then you have to be exclusive. And you have to be exclusive on the basis of finding the best. And the best, if we can go back to that chart real quick between the male sure. and female, because that last line, that dotted line, the male-to-female ratio, when you get to the geniuses right at the end there, it's really extreme. It's about as extreme as people who are really violent Yes. You take the, the most violent people in society, they're all men. If you take the, the most uh, high IQ people, they're almost all men. So if you wanted excellence in science, that's what you'd look for. But instead, if you just want equality of well, genitals, and then even more female genitals than male genitals for some reason, then you end up setting up the system that you're accurately describing, mm -hmm. which is that you make sure that females succeed in the entire system from birth to grave. I know that but in the those, UK data, um, Working class white men are the most underrepresented in higher education and black women are the most overrepresented in higher education. So what does that say? That's in the UK. This does not surprise me. Just for those not, uh, not watching and instead listening, the ratio, it seems, of genius men to genius women is nine to one. At the very extreme. At, at the very extreme. Of the, uh, of those, those are the sorts of people who will be creating paradigm shifts in whatever field it is that they're working in. Really? Let's be honest. Oh, no, I'm, I'm joking, obviously. Average three standard deviations right there. <laughs> no, probably not. Um, anyway, where was I? So it's also worth mentioning as well that female teachers um, are more and more common these days, and it's been found to be an observable trend that they give boys lower marks for the same work. And there's actually this perception from the boys. So the boys understand that women are more likely to discriminate against them and their right, which is kind of infuriating, really, because I've butted my head against the education system on the way up uh, to where I am today. And I found it incredibly frustrating. Like, 
it, it felt like everyone was working against me and I really had to struggle to actually make anything of myself. I can also speak to this. I've had the same thing, even as early as primary school, which yes. is hilarious. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So we, um, in my primary school, I, my mom remembers this vividly. So she tells me, I know it's a laugh we have in our family, which is that the teacher for pink class, which was like year three or something, uh, was a woman. And she did parents' evening and told my mother that she didn't want to teach boys and hated boys. I had a primary school really? teacher like that as well, yeah. It was just like, well, why are you here? She was like, well, I couldn't go to an all-girls school, so I'm here. Uh. And she was just awful to all the, all the male students. Did you imagine going into teaching and thinking, I'm so twisted in my own head that I'm only interested in teaching one sex of children? But if you're like that, you'd keep it to yourself at least. But no, she just says it at a parents' evening. And that's primary school where you know, education is kind of a joke, right? But that went all the way up into university as well, the same trend. Mm. And the more funny part of that, what is the reverse? Are male teachers giving women lower grades on purpose? I don't think so. Not that no. I can tell. No, it doesn't happen. Like, like male teachers, <sighs> how blunt can I be? Um, if you've got female students, not only is there an institutional bias that you should give them the best marks possible, there's also a sex difference, which is that you don't, men don't want to be bad or rude to women. There's no reason to just be like, nah, I hate women, yeah. Like, unless you're what many, many feminists get wrong is that men are actually nicer to women than they are to other men. But those female teachers, I mean, the ones I'm speaking of and that we know of in this study, yeah, they, they genuinely just hate boys. And it's like, okay, you're horrible to be around. Yeah, well. I, I was mostly taught by men growing up, so I didn't really experience much of that. But the few female teachers that I did have, I did notice quite a few of them were much more um, standoffish and blunt than the men were in a way that felt very forced. I've, I've had I didn't some... feel like they were purposefully being... Uh, discriminatory to the boys but maybe that's where I'm from versus where you guys went I've had some rather excellent teachers of both sexes as well so Obviously. you know it's very contingent on the individual just to clarify I'm sure everyone's on board with what we're saying anyway but anyway let's look at this this was the study that I foreshadowed earlier and apparently um, going through um, education can increase your IQ by one to five points apparently so actually Maybe measuring it at the end of their education rather than the beginning might actually um, suggest that it's raising people's IQ. But then, um, you know, it depends um, what kind of thing they're studying, I would imagine. This is an average of all students. And so it should be um, probably disproportionately weighted towards subjects where they've got a mathematical basis that complements an IQ test. I imagine if you're doing gender studies, there may actually be a decline. Maybe that or, or post-colonial studies, there will probably be a decline as well. However, I wanted to talk about this because this is the final thing that I thought was hilarious. And this is um, a journalist called Anna Stanley. She went to uh, a King's College anti-terrorism course, and this is for civil servants. Of course, King's College um, is a, a London-based university, quite a good one. And um, wow. I just want to read... Um, a little bit from this, and she says, the course began with um, the issue of definitions. What is terrorism? Without anyone providing an opposing standpoint, we were taught the adage, one, one man's freedom fighter is another man's terrorist. So it's basically like the left wing of the Labour Party defining what a terrorist is. And what about it, baby rapists? Can we, <laughs> are, they, can we, are they ever freedom fighters? I just... <laughs> I would say no. In front, yeah, controversial. Because um, <laughs> you're so right. I am so bored of hearing that. Or it's like, okay, yes, when we're talking about like the Taliban or something, there's an argument made. But a baby rapist organization, like, no, 
no, no, no, they're terrorists. That's, that's not a discussion we're having. And it carries on to say, all the civil servant um, participants were given a topic to research and present. One attendee said her brother had been radicalized and fought in Syria for Islamic State. Yep. Few, I thought, at least one person here will understand the problem of extremism. Her, her presentation was about the UK's counterterrorism strategy, Prevent. She argued Prevent is inherently racist because it focuses on Islamist extremism. Because Islam they're after my brother specifically. Yes. Islam also not a race, it's a religion. And also targeting Islam when they themselves sometimes describe themselves as terrorists, as in the actual terrorists, right? And, they and understand her own what brother is in... I mean, yeah, you're an idiot. Um, the mere mention of Islamist extremism makes Muslims feel uncomfortable, she argued. Tough. The thought of being blown up on the tube makes me uncomfortable. I think I win on that one. Her brother would, be, um, would have most certainly agreed. Um, later on, we were shown an ISIS propaganda recruitment video filmed in Syria. The same attendee's <laughs> face then, lit and up. And then and given leaflets <laughs> on how to join. And she stood up hand on heart during the whole thing. <laughs> but apparently that same attendee's face lit up, laughing and pointing oh, at the oh. jihadi in the video. He used to go to my school. I know him, she exclaimed. My mouth agape, I looked around the room uh, for responses to yet another um, disclosure involving personal links to ISIS terrorists. I appeared to be the only one to find this extraordinary. Why, why well, you are a normal person, Anna, but apparently these people are not. immediately arrested. Well, yes, if you course. ask me, clearly, obviously. But this sort of thing, although they're not, you know, formerly students, they're civil servants, which almost makes it worse. Um, but it's a university course, right? And it's more or less the inverse of what should be taught. And this has happened in a lot of educational settings where normally it would be set up, you know, a counterterrorism course would probably be set up to counterterrorism. I, I don't know about you, but that would be my understanding. And uh, it seems like it's just a place where uh, people who are sympathetic to terrorists have gone. And the same thing goes for things like sociology, where, you know, it purports to understand society. Actually, it's just a vehicle for ideology, a lot of it anyway. Not all of it. I've covered some sociology and, you know, particularly the stuff um, pre-World War II can be quite interesting because it's not politically biased. I think around that time it became a vehicle for politics. But it's got to the point where even Forbes is saying that universities need to rebrand themselves because it's not going well. For them. What are the suggestions in here? I didn't go for it because I imagine they're pretty entry level because it's Forbes and they're boring. I, I, I've got an idea because there's been recent discourse that I've seen on the idea of what, what are systems for and people putting forward the idea that the purpose of a system is what it does. You can say that, oh, we intend to do this, but what it actually does is what the purpose of it is. So perhaps leftist retard factories. I don't know. I mean, maybe some ICE sponsorships on the side. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. maybe. Some ways to raise money. <laughs> I mean, what do universities do? They're supposed to give you an education and teach you how to think, but what they actually produce is leftist retards. Yeah, we should probably avoid university indoctrination and politics. I think if a, pos uh, if a topic isn't explicitly political, there shouldn't be politics in it. And that if you're paying to get an education and paying a lot of money, you know, I paid some of mine out of my own pocket. You want a quality education. You don't want to hear some professor's narcissistic views on, you know, Donald Trump or what have you. It is not relevant. It's, it's a waste of time. But people still listen to them because they're an authority. And I, I, I was doing a media degree and I still got that. I know, yes. But my point in bringing this up is that it's, it's very interesting to me that there's been a push on the left to send as many people to university as possible. And it turns out that it's not really having 
um, particularly desirous effects for wider society. And in fact, I think many people would benefit from doing a trade and you know, learning in their spare time rather than paying an institution which they get a piece of paper at the end. You know, it, it can offer a valuable education. I got a good one. But at the same time, you don't need universities now more than ever. Good points. I don't know what to say. I Genuinely, I am so sick of the state of universities. I know. It, Part of me wants to go the full American route and just be like entirely self-funded. But they seem more extreme than the West. I, I, know, I know. It's, it's weird, isn't it? That in America, they're, they're a lot more um, free market uh, you know, as far as university funding goes. And even then, they're the most extreme. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about something different, which is the fact that a lot of people don't know that they failed, and these specific people being those who are arguing for mass immigration. Now, I don't know about you boys, but I've definitely seen a conversation, conversation shift in the last few months, specifically around mass immigration. And it's not just us, of course. The Canadians have been going through the same thing. And then the shift in the conversation there has happened. The United States with the illegal immigration on the southern border. I mean, massively, the Anglosphere has now got the mass of the population all in agreement that this is terrible. It's not even just the Anglosphere anymore. Have you seen some of the um, opinion polling and things of, on the continent of Europe? Like loads, yeah, of, loads of um, continental AFP. countries are pushing very hard. I mean, to... look, just look at how they're voting. Yeah. It's just I have a strong bias for the Anglosphere because, you know... We're English, are. yeah. <laughs> so there we are. But the, the argument that I want to go through today is the one of ancient times in a land before. You know, in, the, <laughs> in a land before. After the something happened. I don't know why you're sounding like a pirate. But. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a man and he Yar. argued that um, more immigrants equals more money and Medicare. No. Uh, and it, it, the argument that the economy needs lots of immigrants because literally it doesn't exist without them, even though it already exists, otherwise why would they be coming? Never made any sense on any front and has always been kind of a comical thing. And it's reared its head again because of uh, our good friend, uh, James O'Brien, who has <laughs> decided to turn up and have an argument with someone on his talk show. And he's arguing that infinity migrants in the UK is the reason that we're all so rich in the UK. I mean the my pocket my pockets are sagging with all of the pennies <laughs> that I fit in them. I don't know about you guys. Seems like he is as well. He's like, pennies around your face. Like <laughs> Why is so he always hunched over? Poor people. Yeah, but I mean it. It is stupid at this point. I mean the UK is still poorer than it was in 2007. We've not recovered, and it shows. I mean, not only comparing obviously to the rest of the Anglosphere, the Canadians and the Americans, the Australians and New Zealanders. I think are all doing better than us. Yep, but. The world has changed as well. I mean, like a friend of mine was um, talking about his company, and they were debating to go pro-Israel or pro-Muslim uh, <laughs> in the in the recent debate, right? And um, he's a very business-minded chap, so he was thinking, hmm, you know, Jewish money. There's quite a lot of that. And then he realized, hang on a minute, the Muslims have all that oil, and the world has changed. They're no longer poor. They're unbelievably rich. So they had yeah, they had an um and an R, and eventually came down on one side. What company is that? Are they selling weapons? Like, what, <laughs> why do you need a position on the Israel-Palestine conflict at all? I'm not going to tell you, but my my point being that, of course, the world has changed. Quite a lot of countries that were once poor are now very rich, or very middling, or very similar to the UK at this point. And the UK in the Anglosphere is a joke, and we are the ones who have gone through infinity migrants from, well, the third world, if possible, in a recent time. 
so it's just it's just mad. But here's the debate, and I'll, I'll just play it, and we'll enjoy the conversation, I suppose. I suspect that you want less immigration and a stronger economy. Um, I think less immigration would be a good idea yeah. because I think principally immigration displaces English, the, the lower levels of English people, pushes them onto welfare, oh, yeah. and that is not good for the social contract. Okay. What if you can't have a stronger economy without high immigration? What do you do then? Above my pay grade, Squire. Well, it's not, is it? Because it's actually the basis of your voting intention. So you're drawn to one of these weird new parties that begins with R, are you, Bill? Uh, only with reluctant. R is for reluctant. But the relationship between economic growth, if you have fewer people earning, um, is an impossible relationship. No, it's not. how the cake is sliced. No, no, it doesn't. That's that's a silly figure of speech, Bill. It depends how the cake is sliced. That is it. One of the right. arguments you're putting forward the is the one right. the think tanks put forward themselves because they're the ones who are going to be enriched by it. I mean, what no, Bill, you, you, you're the thing. You're the you're, you're literally the poster boy for the kind of think tanks I'm talking about. You believe in the impossible. You keep telling me what I'm. What I'm saying no, just keep I'm reminding you what you said when you rang in. You, you want a stronger economy and lower immigration. That's literally your reason for ringing in. You said the two things they failed on, didn't you, were the economy and immigration. Well, You're going to vote for one of these weird new parties beginning with R that you think is further to the right than the Tories, or at least more likely to deliver lower immigration and, and a stronger economy. I'm not so sure about the stronger economy, but... but hey, who cares anyway, as long as we can bring immigration down, eh? Well, well, you don't care if it makes me poorer. Did you vote for Brexit, Bill? Well, again, this is the point. It's a question, Bill, not a point. Did you? Of course I did, because I don't mind about being poorer. As long as there's fewer, as long as there's fewer foreigners around. Yes. Am I right? Good Lord. Quite nostalgic for for the days when people like that rang in on a rather more regular basis. But to be fair to Bill, I suppose you can see why they don't. I want a stronger economy. What did you vote for in 2016? A weaker economy. Stop putting words in my mouth, mate. Have the floor. Say what you want. Well, I mean, I hate this man so much. It's well, mad. I'm, 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 I'm going to be honest. I feel a bit bad for him here because as a propagandist, he's clearly failing. As a mouthpiece for the regime, all of that fire, that twatty fire that he used to have when he was doing things like interviewing Nigel Farage has completely gone. The, so ineffective. The, the soul from this man's eyes, not that he had one to begin with, but whatever facsimile of a soul was displayed through his eyes is completely gone because he's been making these same arguments for who knows how long now. He's been doing the same song and dance for years and years. And are you going to tell me that he doesn't notice that the entire country's gone to pot? He's repeating the lines, but with no conviction because he doesn't believe them. Because even Aaron Bastani, as we saw last week, can walk around any town centre in this country and go, hold up, there's a bit the more... Lotus Eaters are right. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit more barren than it used to be. So if you're telling me that on his way to his morning pret, James O'Brien isn't noticing there's a few more empty shops than there used to be. So with mass migration being what it's been, if we're supposed to get X amount re richer per immigrant come in, and we've had record migration... Where's all the money? Yeah, where where is that record money that we should? To be, all be fair, made? you can't see the destruction to the average British town in London, really, and it's it's one of the the places that doesn't have loads of boarded up shops everywhere in the similar way to most towns across like Britain. Disconnect. Yeah, but he does very much remind me of neocons back in the day 
just endlessly trying to defend the invasion of Iraq. And that's what we're going to go to in a minute. But um, obviously that point real quick that is so slippery that you see so common is like, you voted for Brexit. So why do you think that the country's poorer now? As if the assumption is that because Brexit was voted for and then passed through, there's been lower immigration. No. I, I, it's gone up. And also... Everyone's Brexit, well aware. It's the highest it has ever been. Brexit's, not the, only, Brexit's not the only factor in the economy as well. They yeah, talk no, about it like it's up. the only thing that ever happened. I'm sure you're about to show GDP per capita, but that's not... No, did you know? <laughs> oh my goodness. But here's just to make the point. Um, we're still poorer than we were in 2007 in terms of GDP per capita here. You can just see that it's never recovered. It's just hopped up and down. Does this even take inflation into account or is this just raw numbers? Um, I assume this takes inflation into account. I believe so from World Bank, but um, correct Because if it is just raw numbers, then that's even worse, wouldn't it be? Yeah, oh, yeah, but it's it's just mad to be like, you know, record immigration, therefore economy good. It's like, no, no, it doesn't work. Everyone lives here. I mean, people were confused, obviously, in the responses. So this is a graph of GDP growth versus net migration. And as you can see, the golden age here, low immigration, there's a golden age here, there's a slight uptick, but nothing mad. And then, what, there's one here that happens to coincide with the insanity. And then we continued the insanity. And for some reason, we fell through a cliff. That is almost like an inverse trend, isn't it? Yeah. So it's just mad. I mean, a lot of people were just strapped angry. Well, well, no, no, wait, wait, wait. wait. Let's be fair, Callum. Let's be fair. Go back, go back. So you see that point in uh, 2000, uh, what's that? 2007 to 2009 is when the drop really starts to be noticeable. And then 2000, yeah, 2000. Financial crisis. Yeah, 2008 to 2009. That was obviously Brexit. What happened was in 2008, people voted Brexit, Proto Brexit. and immediately yeah. became twice as poor as they used to. That's so, the only explanation. You are so right that the, the endless focus on Brexit is like the last, I think Helen, Helen Dale said this, it's like the last Japanese soldier in 1955 still thinking the war's going on on some island in the middle of nowhere. So shut up, man. Like, who, so who, who are the only people who talk about Brexit anymore? It's James O'Brien and Femi. Yeah. And They're the only people. A lot of people were angry. It was just like, well, where's all the economic growth from the foreigners then? Come on. You missed a toad-looking motherfucker. <laughs> Which, you know, uh, sympathize. And then there's people talking about, you know, <laughs> what do these people actually do all day? They think the economy is getting up because GDP go up because infinity Africans and, and shitbox new builds are being built. It's like, no, that's... I didn't need this mental image of Mr. O'Brien. Yeah, but I mean, both of those pills you're taking, I mean, it's just lower quality of life is the uh, net result there. But then people started posting stuff like this, which is, we're objectively poorer with more foreigners around, so yeah, I'd rather be poorer with zero foreigners. Because that's really the option. Would you rather be poor and, and have no homeland, or poor and have a homeland? I mean, it's... it's mm. <laughs> also, what's, what's the logic here that England was never rich? England was never a world leader in, in economic forces before we had infinity Africans here's, and infinity migrants coming into the country. Here's a novel idea. How about if foreigners stopped coming into the country, would actually gain money because they're not actually net contributors to the UK economy? That's a Depending on the group. Yes, of course. But, I mean, th this is all just an economic argument. Of course, this doesn't matter that much. There are far more important, important things, such as not being ethnically di displaced and ending your 2,000-year reign over an island. I mean, that's sort of kind of more important. Quality of life, that's more important. I mean, there's various things. But if you just want to talk pure economics, I mean, this graph is hilarious. It shows here earnings since the year 2000. Earnings are up 112% since the year 2000. House prices up 240%. Now, the inflation rate during that time period is 124.9%. 
So you are poorer on average than you were in the year 2000. So that immediately destroys the, uh, the earnings increase. Yeah, that, that's actually negative. Um, the house prices, um, yeah, in real terms, they have gone up. Um, what possibly could be the thing driving the house prices? Well, it's not because we're not trying to build enough. It's because of the demand. There's huge demand, not enough supply. Price go up. Who'd have thought that the market operates on supply and demand? This new revelation, my I, goodness. You know, I do feel like a child doing these segments sometimes and saying that. But then you look at people in London and you're like, you are so disconnected. You don't seem to know, but there we are, or at least these people in particular. But I mean, just that point you were mentioning about types of immigrant. Here's obviously people who know about immigration. Denmark, yep. This is the Danish study in which they found that um, Danish people on net contributors to the state, Western European immigrants, they're a net contributor. And then... Uh, you have the group that other non-Western immigrants, they contribute some, but are a net drain. And then you have the Middle Eastern immigrants who are just a drain. I, I assume other non-Western immigrants will be what, East Asians maybe? Yeah, so there's, there's a payoff period here. But, but only when they're a particular age. It, it also encompasses um, such a wide range there, of course, of groups of ethnic groups. So these the lines represent over a lifetime, right? Yes, from the year you are born to the age of 90. So at no point... Do Middle East or North African, Pakistan or Turkey, at no point in Denmark do they ever become net contributors? Correct. On average. Yep. Uh, so that's, that's the truth. So there we are. And um, weirdly, as I mentioned, this reminded me, him sitting there, because everyone knows this at this point. The, the shift has happened in Canada. It's happened in America. It's happened in the UK, Denmark, you know, Germany, etc. I think everyone's pretty much getting up to speed on this. We're no longer having to take baby steps constantly. Instead, it is... No, we, we know that Infinity Africans doesn't equal infinity money. Otherwise, Zimbabwe would be to the moon. I just, are, we, are we hoping that they're... <laughs> continent. Are Sorry. we hoping that they're just like smuggling diamonds with them? Yeah. Maybe, and then we can, when they're coming through customs, we can just gang, get them for the everyone, diamonds, maybe? Yeah. Everyone knows Africa is synonymous with riches and wealth. I mean, so come on. That particular argument you see from James O'Brien, I mean, it really does remind me of this. So this is the image <laughs> from the invasion of Iraq. With George Bush with his thumbs up going, mission accomplished in 2003. Someone needs to Photoshop this. James O'Brien's face and rows and rows of Turkish barbers. Because <laughs> the, the thing is, um, this is how I perceive this argument being made in the early 90s, is that people, I presume, actually took this argument seriously. It is comical on the face of it. But after the, the 20 odd years of what we've gone through, I mean, it is just nuts. And I want to compare it to the Iraq war because, I mean, I think there's a weird similarity that I'm going to force through. <laughs> which is so of course I mean the Iraq war starts out with the invasion um, 30,000 Iraqis die in exchange 172 Anglos die sad day the Anglos and then of course there's the insurgency period 2003 to 2006 and I was like okay maybe that whole Iraqi freedom thing was not not a great idea maybe they don't want democracy maybe this is not going well well you know we'll just fight for a few years it'll be, it'll be cool there's another 90,000 people dead and then it followed with the civil war immediately for two years in Iraq, which another tens of thousands of people dead. This is between, well, proto-ISIS, the Mahdi's, and then, well, us, really, propping up uh, the Iraqi government. Which, um, yeah, um, what happened after the civil war? Well, we had the second insurgency, 2011 to 2013. They're like Marvel films, aren't they? They're coming out every year. Yeah, that's another 10,000 dead. And then immediately after the Iraqi insurgency ends in this period, well, it didn't really end, it escalated into the, the second war in Iraq All right, against ISIS. Which, um, hey, the death count on this one is, is really large. 
Oh, really? ISIS killed a lot of people. Is that what you're telling me? No, we killed a lot of ISIS. Oh, okay. <laughs> we did a yeah. very good job, I'll be honest. It's kind of uh, very based. So strength, 100,000, 200,000, 129,000 ISIS members killed. Bloody hell. So there we are. But, we... I mean, let's be fair, though, guys. It was all worth it because now we have peace in the Middle East. Well, I'm just, I'm just keeping it to Iraq. Um, so the ISIS war encompassed, of course, a lot of genocide and, and a lot of uh, extra people dying. So 220,000 Iraqis dead. Um, 59 Anglos. That's, it. that's, that's a hell of a <laughs> AD ratio. <laughs> Bloody hell. We weren't doing all the fighting, but the, the, the strength uh, of the American military is comical. <laughs> Let's be fair. I mean, it, is, it does need to be nerfed for there to ever be a fair fight, and it's not going to be. And yeah, I don't God know. Bless them. Don't insurgents ever learn. <laughs> We, we, yeah. we, you say that, Callum, but how does um, an American military force uh, engage against uh, a few Sandy boys coming from the mountains in 2022? Well, this is the 2021, big, whenever it was. The big dichotomy between the, the, the juggernaut meme machine that is the US military and then the US political leadership, which is just awful. On <laughs> They can't do anything. I mean, they genuinely turned up to Afghanistan and were just like, oh, yeah, we'll make them liberals. It's just like, what? What are you talking about? But anyway, getting back to Iraq. Okay, so even from the invasion right up to 2017, just constant warfare. I mean, the last thing we're just looking at here is the ISIS war, which is, in, in terms of modern warfare, very large death count. I mean, not small. You don't get these kinds of deaths, usually. And then, of course, immediately after and to the present day, we still have an insurgency in Iraq. It didn't end. Still going on. So... Yeah, mission accomplished, boys. I, I just, I mean, you can still look if you go on live map and just check out the situation in Iraq still. And there's a, like a province up here that ISIS still control somehow. I mean, there's still crap going down because of all of the Yemen stuff, the Palestine things. There's a bunch of Iranian backed military groups who are now threatening to blow up all the uh, Western military bases and overthrow the government again. So, yeah, that 2003 invasion was not exactly mission accomplished. I, we still haven't accomplished anything. That, that mission is still a joke. Now watch this drive. Yeah. And this is how I see the argument about immigration, where it's just like, man, one day, one day it'll start paying dividends. One day, sacks of gold will turn up on the migrant dinghies. <laughs> it's like, no, there'll be no people. There'll be no women and children. Well, It'll just be unmanned dinghies with gold on them. The, horns on them. It's the just... current discourse is that we're paying them the Danegeld, aren't we? We're paying the Vikings, the the uh, the people coming over in the boats and uh, pillaging our economy, money to go away. It's, yeah. it's not mission accomplished. And then they don't go away. It's never going to be mission accomplished. I mean, Iraq probably will never be mission accomplished at this point and will end up like Afghanistan or just becoming some kind of weird outpost the Americans have to spend loads of money on stabilizing every year, which, um, I mean, that's why we ended up leaving a lot of the empire. So it just wasn't worth having. But anyway, um, there's that. <laughs> I'll bring it back to the immigration for a minute here because, of course, it's easier, instead of accepting that mission not accomplished, to just believe lies, just endless lies, and the Canadians are finding this out in real time. Because they've undergone an unbelievable level of mass immigration very, very recently. A lot of it from India. An unbelievable amount of immigration from India, frankly. I mean, India's just got an infinite supply of people to send wherever. And as you can see, they're kind of oh, shitting themselves. Because they used to be quite similar in terms of standard of living to the Americans. And, you know, it's, you know they're always going to be poorer than the Americans of the global hegemon. But since the uh, 
COVID lockdowns, and then the mass immigration. The forecasts here are not good. That's fact, a big dip. It turns out um, having huge demand for housing, which pushes up rents and house prices so much that no one can then save money to start businesses, really damages the economy. And then also all of the other problems, which we could sit and talk about for five hours and probably have collectively done about 200 hours worth of video on. Yeah. So there's that. And the response from the leadership in Canada, so this is the Canadian finance minister, um, she was asked this question, which is maybe Infinity Emigrants doesn't make Canada richer. And she responded by saying, quote, Canada is the most welcoming country for new Canadians. The magic soil, <laughs> they step onto that magic soil, immediately they become Canadian. I thought, Ancestry, but who cares about that? I thought Liechtenstein was the most welcoming to... For new, new Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> what a weird sentence. Yeah, I, that's just pure programming. Um, but then she ends off that sentence after saying that with saying that those, uh, the fact that Canada is the most welcoming for new Canadians is the source of its economic strength. I and mean, we're not dealing with adults. We're not dealing with arguments. We're just dealing with mission accomplished. Trust me, bro. It's, it's, it's mad at this point. So she gives a solution to the, the crisis, which is she wants to build more homes and also increase the level of immigration. Which, <laughs> again, supply and demand. It's, this, this isn't very difficult stuff. I, it really is just people shouting at you mission accomplished at this point. To, to any political leader who might be watching this, even if you do want infinity immigration, consider it takes a lot longer to build a house than it does for an immigrant to cross your border. Turns out buying plane tickets quite fast. But anyway, um, we are still stuck with this. Hey, for the time being. Oh, we're missing out. We're missing out the Turkish barbers, but no, I'm I didn't happy with this. Didn't think of it, but Thomas did a wonderful job of editing this together, which is, um, yeah, <laughs> mission accomplished. Infinity Africans equals infinity money. And it's, we all have to sit here looking at this and feeling like this guy is serious. And it, it's just, it's so over. Like that, that paradigm is so over. And I'm glad at least that's dead. Let's move on. On the subject of incredibly poor propaganda, I am going to preface this. And <laughs> it's say, your segment, bad, is it? And, and say, <laughs> no, I am going to preface this and say, I was expecting Connor to be on this podcast with me. And so this, this segment is somewhat tailored for a nerd conversation between myself and Connor. I'm sorry, I've taken his place. And well, I'm... I mean, he's... My, my nerd credentials is. aren't as strong as Connor's. It, it is what it is, and this is going to be. A, a, it's going to encompass some stuff that I'm sure that you both will be able to discuss with me. So let's see. Let's see how we go, eh, chaps? <laughs> because uh, the Connor has directly messaged me right now, saying, "I am sorry," and uh, you it's will not be. good enough, Connor. You, You're not allowed to be unwell. You will be, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> no, get well soon. Yes, get well soon. Um, so. Propaganda is becoming more and more obvious. The quality of propaganda, which has been pumped out by the regime over the past 10 or so years, is probably one of the reasons that you're watching us right now. If you came over on the initial wave of hold up, everything I used to love is now terrible. You're probably watching us and you've probably gone a lot further than just going like, why are my comics, why are my movies, why are my games worse than they used to be? But it is important to still highlight that, yeah, they really do suck. But one of the things that we're starting to pass into is a new paradigm where not only are they terrible at propagandizing us, they're accidentally sending the entirely opposite message from what they should be. And I think a good example of this kind of counter-reading of recent films... You're right there, Josh. My microphone's broken, as in the stand. Just, just so now I've just got to hunch down like that's, this. That's, that's, just lower your chair. Annoy yeah. John. 
All right. Sorry, John. Become a short. <laughs> what I'm about to do. <laughs> there bye, we go. bye, Josh. Yeah. Um. You. It turns out you can actually interpret things. If you have a functioning mind of your own, you're allowed to make your own interpretations of films and other kinds of media. And on the subject of James O'Brien being very tired and doing a really poor job at gatekeeping other people's opinions, the left has become very poor and very tired at gaping, gatekeeping other people's opinions now because they just know it's bollocks. They just know it's bollocks. Barbie comes out, was supposed to be this big progressive feminist film, right-wingers all of a sudden turn around and say, OMG, Ken is literally me, and have quite a well-developed reading of the film. That Not naming any names, Connor. <laughs> yeah, not naming any names. Hey, that's not even Connor's video. This is Carl's video. Oh, yeah, of course. But uh, I mean, Barbie came out and everybody... And Carl. All people had to use was what was in the film to be able to turn it into a right-wing anti-feminist masterpiece, according to Carl and Connor. I've still not watched it because... I'm not going to watch the Barbie film. I am in the same boat here. Yeah. I, I can't look myself in the mirror and call myself a man. My and testosterone say, I... levels are far too high <laughs> to watch the Barbie I'm too busy Barbie. lifting weights. That's what's going on. And eating Unironic steak. Unironically, yes. But you can do this with other things. And uh, speaking of low testosterone, Connor did force me to play <laughs> Life is Strange. Poor Connor. We're being mean to him and he's not very well. <laughs> That's because he's not here right now. He can't do anything. He's watching, though. <laughs> And um, he, he made me play this, this game, Life is Strange, which is commonly understood as the Tumblrina game. But there is a reading that you can take of it, which is the exact opposite of what it was supposed to be. And even going back to the 90s, you have these films like we covered oh, called yeah. uh, like the classic Fight Club, which was supposed to be... I don't even know what it was supposed to be, if not the reading that it we was a, and other people took from it. It was meant to be a satire of masculinity, wasn't it? Yeah, but the obvious the obvious reading that you can take from it really is the one that Josh and I took, which is that it's actually quite sympathetic towards masculine disenfranchisement within modern society, especially that hyper-consumerist society that people were living in in the late 90s. People like, uh, like um, on the most recent Lads Hour, Connor was complaining that, oh, he's complaining about the fact that he's got all of these material goods. I wish I was in that boat. And that's, you know, that's a disconnect that we have from the film right now. But for the time... It was very clear to a lot of people that just buying a load of shit and filling up your apartment with it without any meaningful relationships is not a way to be happy in I your mean, life. Funnily enough, yeah, people who have lots of money, like celebrities, everyone knows they're all happy, right? I mean, yeah, they're on. not record levels of mental illness within and around Hollywood and other liberals who are just or mindless consumers. Uh, but once again, people take these readings from it. And then the artists who did them, like David Fincher is a director I really respect. And I think he's done numerous fantastic films. Absolutely. The most yeah. recent film, I, I, I've not seen his most recent film. I don't know if it's out yet. But when he was doing Mindhunter for Netflix, oh, yeah, I've that's, seen that's a that. really good yeah. television program. But they hate that people resonate with this in the way that they don't want them to, which is interesting because there was this interview where David Fincher said, oh, I'm not responsible for Fight Club being a hit with incels on the far right. I don't know how to help people who idolize Tyler Durden, where he said that, uh, you know, he was uh, saying, oh, I'm not responsible for how people interpret things. Language evolves and symbols evolve. But what's happened there is it might not have been the reading that you wanted, but what you have produced, the art that you have created has resonated with people, is connected with people, which is the whole purpose of art in the first place. And he turns around and says, because they're the wrong people, 
and because they got the wrong message, because it resonated the, with them in the wrong way. These people are incels. These people are far-right maniacs. How dare you sympathize with Tyler Durden? He says, it's impossible for me to imagine that people don't understand that Tyler Durden is a negative influence. People who can't understand that, I don't know how to respond and I don't know how to help them. And I'm not going to say that Tyler Durden is, should be somebody that you look up to as an entirely positive role model. But even within the film, as we covered, the narrator, when Tyler Durden's talking to him, he points out that I'm everything that you're not that you want to be. I'm strong, confident, assertive, successful for women. I'm literally selling the fat of rich people back to them as soap. So I'm you know, thumbing my eye in the system and the people uh, keeping you down. Why wouldn't that connect with people? Well, a lot of those um, sort of principles, virtues, behaviors appeal to masculinity, don't they? And of course, masculinity is not particularly popular. And although um, I don't agree with the sentiment of the film, either in our interpretation or the one in which the mainstream media asserts, you know, you can have nice things and just not be really materialistic. Mm. And, you know, you get the best of both worlds. There is a balance as, as there is in many aspects of life. I think the unifying uh, factor between a lot of these is that these filmmakers will present the audience with a nihilistic world in which nobody cares about anything and that everybody is miserable, nobody has ideals or values, and then they will present a character who has values, who has ideals, who stands for something, but then paint him in red and go, he's the bad guy, and be shocked when people see this pointless, meaningless, nihilistic world and go, no, I kind of like the guy who actually believes in something. Well, yeah, funnily enough, someone who has a solution to problems is seen more favorably than the problems themselves. I mean, who'd have thought? Yeah, I mean, even at the end of the film, whatever the, uh, you know, whatever you think of the ending, whether you think it makes sense that blowing up a single building is going to destroy the banking system. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> uh, it, it seems to be clear that by the end of the film, the narrator, at the very least, has gone on a character arc and has in some way been improved, at least in the way that he sees his own life, through Tyler Durden's influence. Have you watched Fight Club, Callum? No. You should. It's actually a very good film. I really want to. I just never got around. Yeah. Um, and this brings me to something that happened over the past few days, which is the most controversial Twitter post of all time oh my was goodness. posted, which was Literature Devil. S.A. Rivera said, if you don't understand why Watchmen's Rorschach is beloved and the actual true hero of Watchmen, then you've missed the point of heroes. Now, this is where, you know, Connor was supposed to be sat where you I, are. I have seen right the now. film and okay, I know case, who then, Rorschach is. Then, you, so, then, then, then not all is. And lost. I also sit next to Connor in the office and so I overhear his comic book sort of ways. So I've, I've kind of developed uh, an understanding by proxy. There you go. So you've watched the Watchmen film. Uh, did you notice anything about Rorschach that differentiated him from the rest of the characters in the film? He's based. Yes. <laughs> Unironically, yeah. He believes in something. Most of the Watchmen story, as Alan Moore wrote it, is heroes, retired heroes who don't believe in anything anymore, uh, suffering their interpersonal issues, complaining about things. One of them, Night Owl, one of his main subplots is literally that he's got ED and he feels really bad about himself because he can't get it up. Whereas Rorschach is a bit psychopathic, yes. He is a smelly homeless weirdo, but he also goes around trying to solve murders, stand up for the friends that he's lost along the way, and at one point, very prominently in the story, murders a paedophile who got away with it. 
Um, so Alan Moore writes this character and then is shocked, shocked, I tell you, when the only character who believes in anything or cares about anything or really does anything positive for the world is the one that people like attach themselves to and resonates with people. You mean to say that people like other people who do things positive in the world? My goodness, this is And I want to preface shock. this as well by saying that this is not an, a unique take. Most people who watch Watchmen come out of the other end saying that while I don't agree with everything to do with the character, that Rorschach was the, the hero of the story, so to speak, as much as you can be a hero in a nihilistic world like the one that Alan Moore painted. But then, for some reason, this rather innocuous normie take post, not to take anything away from Literature Devil, became a hot-button topic. And you had loads of leftists coming out of the woodwork with, let's, I'm going to be fair, really poor propaganda to throw back at him. And that propaganda, I include Alan Moore's words himself, the man who wrote this character. Uh, people kept showing this particular quote to him and one or two others. Uh, so let's, let's read this. I wanted to make Rorschach as like, this is what Batman would be in the real world. I mean, Batman's supposed to be rich, so you kind of got it wrong straight away there. Rich homeless man. Yeah, rich billionaire hobo. He's uh, got all the sandwich crusts. But I have forgotten that actually to a lot of comic fans, smelling, not having a girlfriend, these are actually kind of heroic. Now, he does slightly win me back over with that <laughs> sentence. It's a bit rich coming from him. I've seen how he looks. Yeah, if anybody, just look up Alan Moore and what he looks like. And if you want to see a man whose smell emanates from still images. Yeah, you need to. Uh, uh, John, get up a picture of Alan Moore. So get the one of him wearing the hammer and sickle t-shirt for me, please. Because that's um, Alan Moore. Yeah, yeah, here we go. He looks like Rasputin if Rasputin didn't shave. Yeah. Does this image have an odor? I say yes. It smells like stale sweat, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that Alan Moore, if he's going to say that... Oh, there it is. Yeah, there's the picture. Hammer and sickle. If Alan Moore is going to complain that some people smell, mm, he's glass houses, that's all I'll say. But going back, I'll, re I'll read the rest of this. So he says, So Rorschach became the most popular character in Watchmen. Once again, someone horrified that a piece of art that they created connected and... and um, and resonated with people. Oh, so horrible if it's the wrong people and the wrong message. I made him to be a bad example, but I have people come up to me in the street and saying, I am Rorschach. That is my story. And I'd, keep, uh, I'd be thinking, yeah, great. Could you just like keep away from me? Never come anywhere near me as, again as long as I live? And uh, that was the one that supposedly absolutely destroys Literature Devil's take on this, despite the fact that... Um, yeah, he wrote it, and he may have intended one thing, but it's, it is, in fact, possible to intend one thing and to accidentally write a completely different story or a story that you can interpret different ways. For instance, Alan Moore may not have noticed, but he did title the character Rorschach. So it's something that you look at and is very subjective in your interpretation. Yes, but Alan Moore thinks that you're wrong to have your own interpretation of the character of Rorschach. And this isn't the first time he said this. He's constantly, ever since the comics came out, been complaining that people have been taking the wrong message from Rorschach. We had some black guy who um, I, I, I'm familiar with uh, post, oh, the amount of chuds that find Rorschach admirable is sad, but not surprising. The creation of Rorschach, and this is another Alan Moore quote, 
a mass vigilante who's one of the Watchmen's main characters, I was thinking, well, everybody will understand that this is satirical. I'm making this guy a mumbling psychopath who clearly smells, who lives on cold baked beans, who has no friends because of his abhorrent personality. I hadn't realized that so many people in the audience would find such a figure admirable. I was told, this was probably five or 10 years ago, that apparently Watchmen has quite a following amongst the right wing in America. In fact, do you know the far right website Stormfront? And then the quote cuts off and I don't know what it goes on to say <laughs> there. But do you know what happened, Alan? Is that like with all of these other stories, you wrote a horrible, nihilistic and meaningless world where everything is awful and everyone is terrible and nobody believes in a damn thing. And then you included a character in it who believes in something and says, I'm going to stick to my beliefs and to my convictions. And then you get surprised when he's the one that people latch onto. Yeah, well, if your convictions lead you to being homeless, living off of baked beans with no friends, and you still stick by them and act on them, then there's something admirable in that, even if they are misguided. Yeah, and the whole point of Watchmen when it came out was this was around the 1980s when comics were going dark. They'd already been dark and told dark and adult stories, but this was when creators like Alan Moore were self-consciously going out of their way to tell gritty adult stories. And the whole point of Watchmen, the groundbreaking point was, did you know that the real world is depressing and gritty? Did you know that having ideals and superheroes that have ideals which are aspirational is actually really stupid and that you should be meaningless and nihilistic? That's the point, because I'm a communist, don't you know? Behind every sort of nihilist or pessimist is a disappointed optimist. I can't remember who said it, but I think it's true. I mean, it's no surprise that a communist would be like that in, mm. in that case. But once again, like that's your message. That's your groundbreaking, deconstructive narrative that you're presenting to people. And again, he's surprised that people latched on to the one ray of meaning, the one speck of meaning that he included in that whole story. And Alan Moore is, a, a, let's be honest, a weird, crazy man who believes that adults loving superhero movies is infantile. And we all know Soy Jacks. We all know real life Soy Jacks. So I agree with that part if you become obsessed. Yeah, me with too. It, but also can be a precursor to fascism. This is, <laughs> Alan Moore is like a um, you, uh, fascism hiding under your bedsheets kind of Bolshevik type where if you believe in anything, if you have ideals, you're probably a fascist. Because having ideals means that you structure your life around beliefs. Having beliefs that you structure your life around means that you put those beliefs above other things. That means hierarchy, because you're structuring things in, uh, in, in a, a ranked order. Hierarchy equals fascism. But I've got very strong beliefs, but my strong beliefs just so happen to be that the government shouldn't do a lot of things. Does that make me a fascist now? Yes. To Alan Moore, because... Oh, dear. Well, you've got to remember that to Alan Moore, and there is some historical precedent that you can cite to say that this is... this From their perspective, they consider it to be accurate. Anything that is anti-communist is automatically fascist. That's uh, some very juvenile thinking, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. But the quote is, I said round about 2011, I thought that it had a serious and worrying implications for the future of millions uh, if, uh, if millions of adults were queuing up to see Batman movies. And this was around when Christopher Nolan's Batman films are coming out. So. I quite enjoyed those. Yeah, I those... not to be a, a massive you know, superhero film fan. And those, those can be enjoyed by people who, whose wives don't have boyfriends. <laughs> so they're, they're actually decent films. Thank you. Yeah. 
And uh, he said, because of that kind of infantilization, the urge towards simpler times, simpler realities, that can often be a precursor to fascism. So literally, any belief that things can be better in the real world or that people can do good in the world is a precursor to fascism, according to this... It sounds like mentality. Alan Moore is actually quite a big fan of the, uh, the F word there. Yeah, I mean, also, do you believe that the your average Marvel soy boy is he going to be the boots on the ground, like <laughs> a bread and butter constituency for your fascist? Oh parties? no! Here comes the Funko Pop division. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm quaking in my boots. And uh, people, once again, all of this, even though this all just feels so tired at this point, because it's a really poor job to try and gatekeep people's obviously legitimate interpretations of a piece of art by just pointing at the author who is obviously an insane commie weirdo who smells himself <laughs> who can't literally can't write a single comic book without including rape in the story at any point one of his comics i believe is called neonomicon and i've heard some people say that it has rape in every single issue for some reason because it's just on his mind apparently it's just a pivotal plot device like i'm not going to be squeamish and say you can't have rape in your story at all i mean i'm a big berserk fan but alan moore can't go a single issue without doing that he also wrote a comic called lost girls which his wife illustrated which was about underage fairy tale characters like alice from alice in wonderland and a few others um getting together and having sexual experiments with one another what can i say about this that isn't libelous um, probably best not to. Nothing that nobody else hasn't already suggested. Okay. Let's, let's just say that. So loads of people are screeching saying, no, you're not allowed to like Rorschach by pointing to the opinions of this man. Sorry, it's, it's not going to work. It turns out, in fact, you can have any sort of right-wing interpretation of any piece of art and you don't have to listen to the author and it's completely free. You don't have to pay anyone to do it. Uh, you, you can post it on Twitter and get millions of views doing so. I have 20 interpretations of art at home. They're totally free. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, people like Razorfist, Razorfist came out and did a good point, which was the, the reason that Rorschach was a good character is because he wasn't actually Alan Moore's character in the first place. He based him off of Mr. A, who was written by Steve Ditko, who was uh, one, the artist who uh, was the uh, original illustrator of Spider-Man, two, an objectivist. Uh. Uh, and whether, whether you have issues with objectivism as a philosophy or not, it's a philosophy that believes there is such a good thing, uh, such a thing as good and evil. And he was supposed to be a satirical take on this character. Some also say that he was based on The Question, which was a Charlton character, and uh, Watchmen was broadly based on these Charlton characters that DC had just got the rights to. But according to Razor Fist, it's Mr. A. Either way, Steve Ditko was involved in both of them. They were both characters with a definitive sense of what is right and wrong in the world. And he was supposed to be trying to parody that, but accidentally, because he was the only character who did say there was such a thing as right and wrong, people liked him. Mm -hmm. Alan Moore, most effective. I would much rather um, agree with an objectivist than a communist, that's for sure. Even though, you know, I've got my gripes with Ayn Rand. Yeah, and, and in summation, there was this amazing post, and I'll just read through this, uh, because it sums up the whole thing. Because this is Alan Moore's perspective. Uh, made flesh. Once upon a time, there was a stupid, stinky guy named Truth Exists Man who thought he was a hero. But Truth Exists Man was actually a psycho and never got a girlfriend. 
Then situational ethics man killed a million people by dropping a plastic alien on New York because he was smart and understand it needed to be done to stop an atomic war. But Stinky Truth Exists man actually thought that killing millions of innocent people was bad, according to his stinky belief that you should not kill a million innocent people. My God, what a radical. Fortunately, super smart nihilism man killed Truth Exists man, so the day was saved. And if you think Truth Exists man is a hero, you are dumb and stinky and not sophisticated enough to interpret my story. That's Alan Moore's view. That's the view of people like some black guy and all the other people who are inundating literature devil with their stupid uh, single quotes from Alan Moore, who is not a man that you should trust for good storytelling or good interpretations of reality, because let's be perfectly honest, he is an insane communist who accidentally wrote a few good stories in the 1980s and has done nothing but write rape fantasies ever since then. So yeah, um, do ask questions. Don't just consume product. Uh, use your own mind to come up with your own interpretations of things and don't it, you don't have to care about anything that these people believe or say, even if they are the person who wrote what you're consuming. Let's go to the video comments. The man on the street interviews always frustrates me. I am, I am not a sports fan. I rarely watch any sporting event. I don't know the players. I don't know all the rules. If I were to become extremely passionate and driven and emotionally incontinent over a football game where I couldn't figure out who was at bat, people would think I was being ridiculous. Why is this not the same with politics? People have a, a free license in politics to be unreasonable, I think. And actually, I find it very frustrating because as soon as someone gets really angry, unless they've actually articulated their opinion well beforehand, I just presume that they're so clouded with, with emotion that they can't think reasonably. I don't think it actually sells your case at all. I think actually staying calm and collected makes you a more um, legitimate source of information and a more legitimate perspective. And it's a shame because people, I think people are just looking for an outlet to be nasty to each other in a, a very fundamental sense. What do you reckon, Callum? There's something I like about the countries I've been to where there is no democracy. Because... <laughs> Quick, crop that. That's the most base thing you've ever said. <laughs> because that problem you're thinking about where you run into someone who knows nothing about the subject but is just screeching random crap at you doesn't happen. Because everyone knows full well that even if they have opinions, they're worthless. They don't even try. So you just never have to run into it, which like, I quite like. Which <laughs> I find the worst thing about democracy is that those people, as well as feeling the need to let everybody know their opinions, their vote counts just as much. Yeah, I was like, why? Yeah, great. Well, that's not even true because it depends on what uh, the boundaries are, how many people are in the boundaries, the vote margin from last, you know, the last election. But still, do carry on. It's a, it's a tangible thing. Um, there was a guy I saw in a video. He moved to um, Russia, and people were like, "Oh my god! Even after the war, you're still living here. What's what's going on?" And he's like, "Well, you know, I got a Russian wife. I live in the bloody middle of nowhere, so none of that's affecting me." And then he went on to talk about the differences that he really liked living there than living back home. And one of the big ones for him is that he couldn't stand, especially in 2020 that everyone had to have an opinion on BLM, everyone had to have an opinion on masks and COVID and everything else. I think it's particularly worse for Americans because it does seem to be the case that because they take their democracy more seriously, um, they think that you, you have to be clued up about stuff 
in, in a similar way maybe to the Australians. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Reverting. I, I think in America, their, um, their localized system often actually has much more tangible, uh, tangible effects for their local communities than ours does over here as Probably. well. That's the reason. But I, I'm not saying that there aren't benefits and negatives to either of those, that there obviously is. But that is a very big difference, and that guy noticed it, which is that he didn't have to have, to have an opinion on shit. <laughs> like, I think it's perfectly okay to say, I don't know much about <clears throat> this. Um, I don't really have that much of a strong opinion and carry on with a conversation from there. But that's the, the problem. Like that, Maybe that used to be the case, but now people start getting angry and upset with you for not caring. And I just, it's, it's a bad trait to have. In well, if, if someone doesn't care, it's not like they want to not care. Generally speaking, in a, in a world where meaning is you know, a limited resource, people want to care more about things in their life than not. Right. I mean, you guys must have seen this when, because I think um, our position in general is very much the same as the average English person on Israel Palestine, which is, eh, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> so I just don't I do want to pay into, for it, is, yeah. Yeah, I do run into people who are just like, oh, why didn't you take this side of that side? I'm just, I hate this. I, I hate that part of our. What, what happens in the desert should stay in the desert. <laughs> yeah. It but, works for Vegas, which is in a desert. There you go. See? Yeah. We're on to something. Let's go to the next one. Cool guitars, by the way. If you wanted to make a really good memorial statue uh, to advance our dialectic, you should create a victims of abortion memorial that depicts Mm. the Holocaust against unborn children and the thoughtless murder that we've had of children who don't have a chance to live. The memorial would consist of children's faces uh, printed in relief, uh, faces of different races and people. Uh, These little faces that could never be and the plinth would be a empty incubator table or an empty crib or something like that. And the optics of defacing such a memorial would be so bad that I think a lot of people would become, well, pro-life. That's a very good argument. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. It, it, the idea of that plinth, though, does really depress me. It, it, I think if you really wanted to be as sort of emotionally uh, impacting as possible, it could just be like a first birthday cake with, with empty chairs around it. That would just be harrowing. Wouldn't How it? many empty chairs are you going to have to build, though? Well, it's just like I mean, a dinner just, table. Or just for like, a okay. single... Oh, yeah, yeah. Just for a I, single I thought you meant we were going to have an empty chair for every baby that's been aboard since like... Oh, Jesus Christ. It's like, that's going to be the size of a state. Yeah. Like, <laughs> America's going to change its industry to manufacturing nothing but chairs. <laughs> right. isn't, isn't there a ridiculous statistic like more black babies have been aborted in America so in, in the state of New York in the state than of have New been York born, yeah. Than have been born. I mean, that's... How many slaves were there? Um, like four million, I think. How many abortions in the, in the South? Uh, well, I think it's something like 600,000, maybe more than that. Okay. That's a year, isn't it? So we're, we're probably looking at more abortions than slaves. By a significant margin, yeah. Because of course, you know, all the time it's been going on. Anyway, that's where my mind went. Let's go to the next one. Couple additional names for your statue list: uh, Friar Gregor Mendel, uh, the priest Rogiero Bosovic, Friar Francis Bacon, and Father him. Gregor Lemantre. Uh, these four men basically gave us genetics, atomic theory, the scientific method, and the Big Bang Theory. Oh, nice. We're going to get one of Oppenheimer just being like, no. (laughs) 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 
no, this the statue thing I think is a great idea, and um, maybe my dream will become true in the next twenty years. Start building statues. I'm still gutted that they took Charles Darwin off of the ten pound note. Yeah, that does piss me off. Yeah, I really hated that bloody conversation as well. We've got to have a woman on it. The Queen was on it, and she's still on it as well. Yeah, Jane Austen. I was. I don't. No, come Jane on. Austen, a person who discovered a natural phenomenon. But the the conversation basically would... aristocratic yeah. gossip versus a, a naturalist scientist. But the debate was between Jane Austen and Churchill as well. It wasn't even Charles Darwin because they were going to change both. And it was just like really. But also, really? <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of Churchill. Really, does he have to? You know, Isn't at, at that more point, important than Jane Austen though in British history. Well, I think there are other. There are well, other well, choices. Uh, do, do sure, sure. Read, I'm just saying. Do people if you had to read more Churchill or Austin? Mm-hmm. Oh, you got me there. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Listen to Churchill. Does Waterstones <laughs> have a copy of every Churchill book or if, every Austin novel? If we were properly based and we had to have a woman, Boudicca, you know, driving out the Romans, yeah. that would be based. Is it Boudicca or Bodicea? Um, or is there just nobody? Bodicea is sort of the anglicized version, I think. Okay. But it's a bit more old timey than Boudicca, I think. It, it doesn't really matter. We don't actually know won't. how it was pronounced, I don't think. Weedy, weedy, witchy. You know about that? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's um, how uh, I, I came, I saw, I conquered. Yeah, they don't actually have these. They're weedy, so weedy, That's how Caesar talked. <laughs> Let's go to the written comments. So, um, real quick, the Connor, shadow band. Connor says he is pro-Austin on the £10 note. Bad. Um, the shadow band says uh, happy Wednesday and donates 50 bucks, which... Um, which thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. If I'm not mistaken, this dude seems to turn up like every streamer. I was just like, yeah, here's, here's my salary. <laughs> just like, I mean, if you've got the disposable income for it and want to send it our way, you, we're not going to say I'm no. not going to stop you. Um, so let's go for the average university IQ. Oh, yes. Um, Dirty Belter. I nearly got reported. That's, that sounds like a great <laughs> euphemistic name, doesn't it? Um, under, the pre- under Prevent in college for showing Alex Jones memes, it's quite astounding how every institution is set up to enforce mediocrity and vice i.e. be like the teachers. Why do we allow people who've never done anything with their life to be teachers? I mean, yeah, particularly if you've just been through university after leaving education and you go straight back into education, it's not like you've got a wealth of life experience, is it, that you're imparting on on the, the children you're teaching. I think that part of being an adult authority figure that's teaching children is that you teach them lessons of life so they don't have to make the same mistakes that you did in a way that in which they're actually going to listen and not think, screw you, I'm not doing what you say, like I did. Um, Ross Diggle says, IQ going down amongst university students, uh, no S uh, when they are letting anybody in now. And uh, lo and behold, that actually was it, yes. And JC, um, Jesus Christ himself apparently, um, when I went to university, I immediately felt the sense of prestige fade away as I was... Uh, confronted by the reality of what those institutions really are. Daycare centers for adults who have had their childhood extended, full of people who had no idea that what they were doing, nor why they were there, and a lack of general intelligence was incredibly apparent. Since I was one of the few there for the right reasons, possessing more than a handful of brain cells, I was constantly badgered for basic information about how to complete my assignments. I still find it remarkable that for my first year of university, most of the lectures that I attended, I didn't learn a single thing that I hadn't learned through mindlessly browsing the internet when I was working at a call center. I remember um, in my master's course, I actually had to correct one of the lecturers. I was one of the people that went, um, actually, because it was something that I did in my undergrad that she got wrong. And I felt like a right, um, you know, fedora tipper 
right know-it-all. I, I was, yeah, but I thought, well, if this is going to be in an exam, we kind of need the correct information. So I, I kind of swallowed my pride. But there was, a, there was a few instances throughout my educational years where teachers would say one thing, whether it was correct or not, and then it, like, there, was, there was one really egregious time where in um, secondary school geography, one of the classes that we, were ta- uh, that we took, uh, he was talking about why it is that people generally in the lower classes who aren't working class, they're on benefits and such, have more children. And one of the things that he, one of the reasons that he gave, which could be a plausible reason, he said, was simply because they're not at work, they get bored and have more time to procreate, shall we say. And I listened, I listened, and at the time when I was in school, because it was a teacher telling me that, I thought, okay, that sounds fair enough. And then later on, when we were doing a test, that came up in one of the questions. Why is it the people of the lower classes like procreate more? I used that answer because that was the primary one that he told me. And then he marked it as incorrect. He said there are many different factors for that. So I, I, that was a piss take, that was. <laughs> I, was I was laughing at why, why did you say um, they're procreating, shall we say? As if it's not <laughs> the right word. <laughs> it was just... Because I was trying to be polite and gentle about it. They're fucking raw dogging. (laughs) Bloody hell, Callum. (laughs) Way to bring the tone down there. (laughs) Why are people aristocratic about it? Or shall we say, procreation? (laughs) Bringing out the best in Harry is what's going on. What I'm trying to do, the tone of this podcast has descended recently, and I'm trying to lift it out. I'm quite annoyed by edges. How dare you mention the penis? I didn't even mention that. Now you're bringing it up. <laughs> Callum, uh, why, why are you bringing up penis all of a sudden? Uh, it's always on his mind. It just reminds me of that you know, Family Guy uh, joke where um, Carter's wife gets with some British guy and then Peter's like, hold on, hold on, I don't have to take him down. Penis. And then he just falls over. Let's just say, there we are. <laughs> what? That doesn't work. You haven't seen that joke? I, I've it's seen the joke. Some, he's some British weirdo who's just like, put it up, safety cuffs. And he's just like, cock. Oh, right. And he's like, oh my God. Swear words. Because we, yeah, we don't swear more than Americans in, in Britain. Yeah, that doesn't American happen. Joke, so. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, let's uh, hold that. Move on to your uh, comments. Oh, already then. Eighty. Come on, load you bastard. Lord uh, <laughs> Nerevar says the economy will be worse without infinity Africans clogging up your town centres and degrading your local culture. Uh, so be it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds mean, great. It's not really much of an argument, is it? Um, you think I give a monkeys whether or not the bankers get their bonuses this year? I'm getting rinsed already between tax, cost of living, and net zero levies. Don't I I know it. I wouldn't notice a bloody jot whether the line was going up or not. Whether I would notice uh, my communities feeling safer and happier, I would. So make a toe. That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, how much do you give a crap if the line goes up? Because it's it's never the line that's average income. It's never the line that's GDP per capita. It's never house price affordability or something. It's just blanket GDP, which normally gets hoovered up to the, the top companies anyway, and is actually used to our expense. Because if, say, all of these large companies have more resources relative to the, the general population, then their buying power is higher and actually raises the, the, the prices of your average person on the street. Ewan Baker says, thanks, I'm already suffering with flu. Now I have to watch the idiot James O'Brien on top of it. Uh, Sorry about that. Penance. Blame him. Your crimes. <laughs> that illness is because you've been bad. That's why. God's wrath. <laughs> James O'Brien is the solution. It's the gays. <laughs> I don't know if you're gay, but. 
You're like I'm, a random word generator you're, today, you're, aren't you? You're just babbling. What are you going on about? <laughs> no, I miss that era. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You st- you bring up penis out of nowhere, then you start randomly bringing oh, up it's... the gays. What's going on? I'm gay. Is <laughs> <laughs> oh. that what you want to hear? Well, all right. Then. Okay, yeah. I'm glad we got to the bottom of that, but I shouldn't have used well, that not word. not quite yet. Don't get you excited. Uh... But have you never seen that? Um, you remember back, uh, probably you guys watched Russell Howard's Good News. Back, yeah, back in the day. Yeah. We were all retarded once upon a time, right? <laughs> And do you remember the Jimmy Savile episode when Savile died and he did a memorial to him? Ooh, like, what a great guy. Aged well. Yeah. But he did this one segment once on there was some flooding in the West Country as usual. And one of the local town councils was just like, it's the gays. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I'm, I'm annoyed that we don't get that these days. Yeah, because they, they said it was God punishing us because of gay marriage, wasn't yeah. it? It was around 2011. I want that back. That's all I'm saying. You know, all I'm saying is there is a correlation. <laughs> There's no such thing as climate change. It's just God's wrath. That's it. You've seen that meme, haven't you? Where it's like, oh, what conservative sale will happen if we legalize gay marriage? A plague will come. World War Three will happen. It's like, hmm. Mm. hmm. <laughs> <laughs> aged quite well. Anyway, start trying to turn your kids gay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Furious Dan says mass immigration is much like communism with human capital. Reducing economics to one metric and demanding it all be equal everywhere. Yeah, however, I destroy all of your towns. Now what, huh? Fascist. Let's go to the. Oh, uh, and more. Last. Glad to have you on the podcast. Yeah. All right. Why was he wearing a hammer and sickle shirt? Was he actually because he's a communist? Okay. L- literally, he's a communist. Quite a lot of those dark and gritty comic book writers from the 1980s were communists. Or have become like one Grant Morrison. He's now a they them, which is quite unfortunate because he actually did write some good stories back in the day. But anyway, so we got a message directly from Connor regarding this, saying, "I vote we call this version of death of the author the Ken Effect." I want a better title. I want a better title, but I can't think of one right now. And it is, it it is like timely, right? So. When, white, uh, when wokeness is so hyper-real, art with woke intentions accidentally depicts its villains as sensible reformers. People without ideological brain rot can see the motivations of characters like Ken are sympathetic, so it becomes the runaway interpretation against the desires of the creators. Or in, pre-pe- uh, in pre-peak woke art, like Life is Strange, the natural progression of story vindicates the characters initially depicted as right-wing bigots, like suspicious stepfather David in Life is Strange, or Rorschach in Watchmen. See also Gaston in Beauty and the Beast. Now, Red put- Skull. To put that in English for our viewers... He could have said this tomorrow or something. Yeah. To put this into English for our (laughs) viewers, the people writing this are are mentally ill, deranged freaks who don't know what right and wrong is, so inevitably end up uh, writing the bad guys as uh, the good guys and vice versa. So, there, there you go. Sophie says, Oh, shut up more. Sometimes I just want to sit down with a movie that is fun and have an old school feel good battle between good and evil. That's because you're fascist, Sophie. We knew this. I knew it. Thank you for finally letting us know. Perhaps I actually. Number of simps increase. (laughs) (laughs) OMG. (laughs) Perhaps I actually enjoyed the simplicity of the Marvel movies and couldn't go home and just smile a little and then not think more about it. That was back then, though. It's not been like that for a while. But yeah, there's a place for popcorn flicks, too. Absolutely. Spring Valley Itland at a local cafe they've plastered the toilet walls with old newspapers from the 60s and 70s. I love looking at the old commercials. One of them just stating Ferda Margarine is best. That's all. Nothing else. Just the simple our product is best. And I love it. A simpler time. No randomized control trials or blind tests or managerial expert class. That does sound 
really nice to go back to actually. Imagine getting margarine to... rather than actual butter. Ugh. JJHW, none of you seem to understand. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Quote from Rorschach. And that's another thing. Alan, if you didn't want to make him the most likable hero of the bunch, don't make don't give him all the best lines. <laughs> don't give him all the badass lines, because that's a badass line. On that note, it's time to end the show. So if um you want to see more, you know what to do. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>